project is the importance of telling the stories of women who have found inspiration, growth, and power through fandom. My name is Jenna Wren, and I am the host of the Portrait of a Fangirl podcast. Today, I have the pleasure of talking with author Emily Zemler. Hi, Emily. Hi. So nice to be here. It's great to have you. How are you doing today? Good. Yeah, Friday afternoon. I'm happy that the week is almost over. You're all ready for Halloween, I see. It's September 1st. Yeah, well, I think they start putting out Halloween candy around September, right? They started selling the pumpkin spice at the end of August. I was not ready. You know, I think we just all love a celebration of a holiday, so let's go. We need it. We deserve it, right? Uh, Could you just please introduce yourself and tell our audience just a little bit about yourself? Sure. I'm a writer and book author based in London. Um, on a daily basis, I work as a freelance journalist, mostly coming covering film and TV. I write a lot for the LA Times, Rolling Stone. Um, and then I am the author of, this is my fourth book, and I've currently been working on a fifth book, which I'm not allowed to talk about yet. So yes, I'm quite busy <laughs> writing all the time. Uh, say that's a more than a full-time career at this point. Oh, I'm sure. Is it, are you excited about the next books without, you know, getting too many Very details? excited about it. It's been a really fun project. Um, I've ghostwritten something for someone I really admire and that will come out next year. Awesome. So I know we're here today to talk about your upcoming book. It's Tim Burton's The Nightmare Before Christmas, Beyond Halloween Town, The Story, The Characters, and The Legacy. I actually have a copy of the book right here. It's fantastic, beautiful. Could you just tell us a little bit about the book and what fans can expect? Sure. So it's being released to coincide, or it has been released to coincide with the 30th anniversary of the film. And it's looking holistically at the film, both what was going on when it was made, what inspired the making of the film, but then also what it's gone on to inspire. So how has it impacted pop culture? What has it done for the music scene? How have fans responded to it? What sort of merchandise has come out? So we wanted to look both at what inspired the film and then what has the film in turn inspired, which has now been going on for decades. It's inspired, honestly, pop culture as a whole. Yeah, it's pretty, pretty dramatic. You, you don't really realize until you start looking for it. And then you will start to see Jack Skellington's face every single day when you walk around. Once you're, once it's pointed out, your brain picks it up. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it, it, there's merchandise in stores that you would never think would sell the merchandise. And even I live in England and I still, I see it randomly all the time. Right. It's, and it's, there's of course that debate of, is it a Halloween movie or is it a Christmas movie? So then they play it for months at a time. They do. I I lean on it's a Halloween movie. However, as you'll find out in the book, it is now celebrated as a year-round holiday film. There are people who have themed Thanksgiving dinners. People use it as a celebration for Valentine's Day. Obviously, there's like a love story component. And any excuse you can use to make it a celebration, I think people will do it. That's great. Can you just tell us a little bit about how you got started working on this project? Sure. So I I had done a book called Disney Princess Beyond the Tiara, which again was looking at what inspired those characters and what have they inspired. And the idea for a Beyond series came from the former publisher of Epic Inc., who has published both of these books. And her idea was 
what could we look at that's more than just a making of? Because there's been making of books written, but what don't we know about the characters or the films? So the princess book was really successful and I was really happy with how that went. And then we were thinking, well, what would be the next logical book to do? And we looked at this because it was going to be the 30th anniversary. So that was really all I had was the title would be Beyond Halloween Town. And then what is the book? And so then it was up to me to figure out, well, what is the book? Were you a big fan of the movie itself? I was a fan of the movie. I grew up as a big Tim Burton fan and I had all of his movies. I had them all. And I guess at that point it would have been VHS. Although I think I had the Nightmare Before Christmas on a DVD at some point, but I owned them all. And I had the book Burton on Burton, which is him reflecting on each of his works. And it has been updated since I owned it and just really loved hearing about his creative process. And he feels like someone so singular and he just was a filmmaker that you, you didn't see anyone else doing what he was doing. And so that really attracted me. Right. And you still really don't. He's such a standout in his field. You see something that's Tim Burton and you know, even without being told that it's him. Absolutely. And he has been allowed to continue making these things that look like what he wants them to look like. And I think that's amazing. Right. What do you think it is about The Nightmare Before Christmas that made this such a cultural pop culture phenomenon? That's a question that I asked a lot of people in researching this, and I there are a lot of different answers to it. And there are a lot of elements that would make something such a phenomenon. But I think at the the core, it felt unique and it felt tactile because it was stop motion animation. It feels really real. You feel like you're entering the world of the film when you watch it. The characters felt both familiar, but unique. So you've seen this story of a, like a hero's journey that Jack Skellington goes on. He's a misfit. He's trying to find his purpose. We all know that story, but we hadn't seen it told in this way. And that resonated with people who felt like a misfit themselves And I think the music was a strong component of that. The visuals were a strong component of that. And it grew. And one of the reasons that it grew was because of what you were talking about with it being a holiday film is it becomes a tradition. So if you watch something every single year, it's an annual tradition and that grows and you expect it and you are connected to it. And the people that saw it 30 years ago now have children. And so they've passed it along to their children. So it's actually become transgenerational and it continues to grow. And I think Disney knows that it continues to grow. So they have screenings every year. They re-release it in theaters. They put out new merchandise and that allows it to just propel forward continuously. It's something that doesn't age. You know, it's, it's relevant now as it was 35, 30, 30. 30, 30 years in in October. It'll be 30 years. That's so, I can't believe it's been around that long. <laughs> it makes you feel old, doesn't it? It's me old. <laughs> when you began working on this, did you have a clear idea of where you wanted to go and what you wanted to include? I think the answer to that is sort of yes and no. So the first step in writing one of these books is you have to create an outline for the book. And that goes to Disney and Tim Burton's team to make sure they feel confident in the direction of the book. So there was an outline. So I did know generally we want to focus on chapter on music. We want to look at the merchandising and fashion. 
we want to look at the fandom. And some of that was informed by working on the Disney princess book, but some of it was just researching. And then you start to discover things as you go along. And we made some tweaks, especially in the fandom chapter. When I do these books, my social media algorithm completely changes. My Instagram discover page just becomes cosplayers and like random merchandise and that has thankfully gone away. But like I was joining Facebook groups for fans and cosplayers and merchandise selling. And you start to find these things. One of those would be the weddings that are inspired by the film. I had an idea that there was a romantic angle, but I didn't quite know the extent. And so that was something that we wanted to expand in the outline. Once I realized that that was something that was going on. So, yeah, so I had an idea and then more ideas come in as you learn more and you talk to more people. And then someone's like, you should talk to this person. Oh, you should talk to this person. It kind of unravels a a whole web. (laughs) Yes. And then it becomes too much information and you have to figure out what to include. Right. And you have to sift through. Did you kind of go into this knowing what you wanted to look for or like you touched on? it kind of spiraled based on what you were finding. There were some things. One of the things I was really excited about was the music chapter. So we all know and love the songs, but after the film came out and when it was being re-released, a lot of pop punk and emo and metal artists reimagined some of the songs for these albums. And I came up in the kind of emo pop punk scene. So I actually knew a lot of these bands like was friendly with these bands from being a music journalist back in the day. So it was really fun for me to like reach out to Blink-182 or Rise Against or Plain White Tees and have them talk about what these songs meant to them. So in that aspect, there were definitely avenues that I was like, let's go down this because I think fans will like it. And then maybe there are fans who love the movie, but had no idea that you could go on Spotify and hear fallout boy cover one of the songs from the film really honestly encapsulates i feel like the millennial experience just the nightmare before christmas itself yeah absolutely it if you came up in that generation this is truly like cemented to your soul i think so was there anything you learned while you were putting this book together Yeah, absolutely. It was really fun to dig into the sort of behind the scenes of the making of the film. And it's not a making of book, but obviously we go into that a bit because we're looking at what were the filmmakers thinking about? What were they inspired by while they were there in the studio in San Francisco making it? And an example of that is Sally, who when they started, she was designed as this sort of femme fatale, really voluptuous kind of compelling woman. And that didn't resonate true with Carolyn Thompson, who wrote the screenplay. So she was changed and the character became sort of inspired by the little match girl or the patchwork girl of Oz. And that I think has made Sally more relatable. So I think it's fun to see what are these sort of little moments that have inspired and one of the things I really liked to do is make these kind of sidebar moments in the book. So if you're just flipping through, you don't have to sit down and read this whole book. It's a coffee table book. But you can look at other stop motion films that the filmmakers were inspired by, which might surprise you. And you've probably never heard of some of them. There's like one it's like stop motion movie about bugs, with real bugs, and cockroaches <laughs> that. Yeah. So 
it's pretty interesting to find out what they were drawing from when they conceived of this. In your acknowledgments for the book, you thank the fans of The Nightmare Before Christmas for championing this film for 30 years. Did you learn anything about the fandom itself when you were going through everything? Yeah, that was really fun. I really like making sure we include fans in the book. I think it's really important. Like the filmmakers made the film, but the fans made the film what it is today. And you should acknowledge their contribution. And Tim Burton acknowledges their contribution. He he loves that fans take his creations and make them their own. So I loved talking to the cosplayers, to people who made fashion out of Nightmare Before Christmas. I just felt like everybody had such passion for it. And their reasons were different, but kind of similar. People really resonate with this. I felt like a misfit my whole life. And this helps me to feel like I belong. And I think that's a really nice message. Right. It evokes something very passionate in the fans. Mm -hmm. We like to ask all of our guests about their own fandoms and what they're kind of geeking out over. So what is it that you're into right now? I was I was thinking about this question before I came on and I I'm not someone who like gets very excited about things outwardly. However, I am I have been revisiting The Office, which I know seems like a really random fandom, but in the last few months I've gotten really into The Office Ladies podcast and I honestly listen to it all the time. <laughs> like I'm Me going too, through it every single day I'm like at the when I'm at the gym I listen to it when I'm walking around, I listen to it. So my husband and I are rewatching the show and then I'm listening to the podcast and I like, will play it out loud while I'm cooking dinner and he'll pop in and laugh at something that they've said. And I think that's such a cool thing about fandom is that people who have been part of these cultural moments are doing podcasts themselves. And it's so fun again, to hear that behind the scenes thing. So that's probably my biggest fandom right now is the office which i think is kind of random i don't because i am a huge fan of parks and rec so it kind of <laughs> goes hand in hand i was um thinking about that when you were mentioning stop motion how you have in parks and rec the ben making his stop motion video that's what it reminded me of <laughs> that i think shows the extent to which it takes time and skill to make stop motion hey we was working on it for like two weeks and had 30 seconds <laughs> Yeah, that's an amazing episode. That is. It's so funny. I, I realized like that's a big fandom for me because in the 15, 16 episodes of this podcast I've done, I think I've mentioned Parks and Rec like four times. What's your definition of a fangirl and has that changed over time? Yeah, that's tricky. I'm not a fan of gender terminology. So I think it's really limiting. However, I think you could define fangirl as a human person of any gender who really likes and cares about something strongly. I mean, I think we see that right now with Taylor Swift, that people feel so passionately and deeply. And I think it's really important to think of fandom and fangirl as a positive thing, not like, oh, she's fanning out so hard. But like, actually, it means that you have a deep passion for something so much so that you will seek it out, find more information. One of the things that's been so fun for me with these two books is I've interviewed professors at universities who study fandom. And I did not know that was a thing. I did not know that fan studies 
was a thing that existed. And it is fascinating. It is truly such an interesting thing. A lot of them study Disney fandom or they'll study like fandom in particular to Disney parks. And the way that they engage with it is just, it's so positive and it shows how positive being a fan can be. Um, One thing that came into play in this book is the way in which fans express their fandom. And the most interesting thing I learned from a professor was that fans will create food as a way of showing their love for the film. And there's just nothing better than that to me, that someone's going to bake a cupcake because they love Sally's so much. Like what a really beautiful way to show how much something means to you. It's very clever and creative way uh, to express that. You know, I think of the, there was the Game of Thrones cookbook. There is these, um, I think they have uh, like Dungeons and Dragons cookbooks. Now that you mentioned that, very interesting. Yeah, it's real. It's a really cool, cool thing to look into. Did your love for something particular in fandom inspire your career? Yeah, I mean, this is very broad, but movies. I loved movies growing up. I grew up in a household in Colorado without television. So we didn't, we lived in the mountains, didn't have TV reception. I watched a few things at my grandparents' house, but I didn't have TV in my house. We had a TV, but we didn't have TV. Um, So we had a VCR. So we watched movies and we owned a lot of VHS tapes and watched them. The amount of times I've seen The Little Mermaid is unbelievable. I mean, it's probably in the hundreds and So we would just watch movies all the time. And by the time I was a little bit older, I had printed out lists of all the movies I wanted to see and I would cross them off and I would go to Blockbuster and get them. And I then started, this was back when you could buy magazines and I had subscriptions to Entertainment Weekly and Premiere. I don't know if anyone remembers Premiere, but it was amazing, an amazing movie magazine. And I would cut out the photos And I had these giant closet doors. So I had a collage of all these movie stills on my closet doors. And I originally wanted to be a filmmaker. That just didn't quite feel right once I got to college. Just wasn't quite my thing. It was too technical. So writing about movies became my thing. And so I think, yeah, I was just, I really loved movies. I still love movies. And we loved them so much in my house growing up that we had this thing that was not real called a mountain account at Blockbuster. My dad made it up because we lived 20 minutes outside of Boulder, Colorado. He convinced them that we didn't have to return our movies on time. So we would just go in and say, well, I have a mountain account. And then they would wipe our late fees. So funny. Yeah. Hey, I think that he should have tried to trademark that. That was pretty good. Were there still video rental stores? He could probably take that business idea on the road. That's funny. I love that. Wow. I think that's amazing seeing your love for something like that turn into your career as well. Yeah. I mean, I think it wasn't all intentional. Like, I don't know if I got here step by step, like, yep, I'm going to climb this ladder. But it is it is really fun. And doing something especially like either the Disney Princess book and having seen all those films so much growing up or something on Tim Burton and having watched all his films so much growing up, that feels really special and really important. And I think if you're going to spend months of your life working on something, you hopefully like it. Right. Make it something you love. Yeah, exactly. 
Well, Emily, I think that pretty much wraps us up for today. Thank you so much for giving me your time and talking to us about everything in your life and your upcoming book. Yeah, you're welcome. I'm so glad we took the time to do this. 